is the $10,000. Right? If we go to chapter 17 in Deuteronomy, we find these instructions to Israel's kings as well. Chapter 17, verse 18. And when the king sits on his throne of his kingdom, he shall write out for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of his law and these statutes, and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." You see, the idea wasn't just for the everyday commoner. Even the wealthiest, the wisest, and the smartest people needed to dwell daily in God's law and God's word to, have their, to make their lives successful. And ultimately, as the king, for God's people to thrive. And so when it comes to this time of Christmas, of that first Christmas, when it comes to Joseph's time, generation after generation have gone before Generations after this law was given, Joseph was ready. Joseph had the context, the situation, the opportunities, and the knowledge. But what does the law say about divorce? Deuteronomy 22 states that if a woman is unfaithful, she is to be sentenced to death. But Joseph was righteous. Well, by the time Joseph was born and the Romans ruled the world, they were the only ones who were allowed to uh, execute the death penalty. Um, exercise, sorry, the death penalty, getting my words mixed up there. This, um, and so uh, people, a woman being stoned only happened in extreme cases in the Roman Empire. As we see in John chapter 8, when the Pharisees drag the woman caught in adultery before Jesus... Um, they don't drag the man, and so they actually are disobeying the law themselves there, but they're very selective. So what about Joseph? Joseph was righteous, but not legalistic. Joseph was righteous, but he wasn't legalistic. See, Joseph doesn't seek the death penalty. In fact, he's going to great lengths to ensure that Mary doesn't have to risk this punishment. And so his righteousness is seen in his willingness to divorce her quietly. In fact, again, this is extraordinary because he is going out of his way to preserve her dignity and public reputation as best he can. Remember, he's been scorned. In his eyes, and probably everyone else's eyes, she's cheated on him. She's broken the marriage vows before it's even started. And what's his reaction? to uphold her dignity and value. He kept his cool. And he very well didn't need to. See, the concept of divorce was a hot topic at Jesus, in uh, Joseph's time, in Jesus' time. What was the right and just way for a couple to get divorced? In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him this very, re uh, very question. Is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Very peculiar question, isn't it? Is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? For any and every reason? Well, briefly, there are two schools of thought in Jesus' time 
that emphasized different parts of the Old Testament teaching on divorce. One emphasized the fact that you could only divorce your wife on the grounds of unfaithfulness, and so therefore needed two or three witnesses to back that up. The woman would have to be put publicly on trial, and a verdict would be given. Witnesses would be called. Sides would face off. The other school of thought, on the other hand, interprets the passage differently, saying that it is for any reason that you may divorce your wife. Say, if she displeases you, even for cooking a meal that you dislike, you could write a certificate of divorce, need no witnesses, and it could be done quietly without public fuss or commotion. Of course, people were... uh, Some people were against that. Jesus was. Because, of course, it can be open to abuse. You displease me, here's a certificate, see you later. Next wife. Don't like the sandwich, here's a certificate, see you later. I don't know if you get a third one. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's that's the thinking behind that. But what Joseph does is he seeks to use the second way of divorce so that he can uphold Mary's dignity and value. Joseph is wise. It says, Joseph is a man who's mature in his faith, who loves the Lord and the law of God and the rule of righteousness and justice. But he is also wise enough and experienced enough and knows the scriptures and the Lord well that he is able to navigate this very hard and heartbreaking situation he finds himself in with wisdom and justice, maintaining his right standing with God. And so, that is what he does. In, uh, uh, the, in, the, in the Greek, the, the tense in um, verse 19 there is, he resolved in his heart to divorce her quietly. Resolved, um, it's in the aorist tense, which means he's already made the decision, um, and he's about to go and do what he, um, and going about to do the divorce. And of course, that's when God steps in, isn't it? And offers him, by faith, a front row seat to see salvation in the flesh, redemption in action, and to witness the very moment that history will pivot around. And what an adventure it is too. And so what does Joseph say? Yes. Yes, God. Yes. So what's the lesson for us? What's the lesson for us? How are we to train in righteousness so that when God presents us with the invitation to do mighty deeds for him, we will be really ready and willing to say yes, even in the midst of difficult, trying, and conflicting situations? How do we train in righteousness? Well, it starts by knowing that you have the opportunity and the invitation to do so. You can train yourself to be in tune with what God's Spirit is saying to you. You can train yourself to accept the invitations that God presents to you. It means knowing that in almost any moment of any day, there are two ways, two narratives to follow, God's way or the world's way. It means taking those words from Deuteronomy to write God's word, God's law around your house and your car and think about the things of God 
as you come and as you go, to discuss and talk about what God is doing with your family, to talk about what God is doing in your life with others here at church in your home group. And it means saying yes. Say yes to God. Yes to what He wants you to do in your life. Perhaps that's what some of you are resisting. Saying yes to what God is prompting you for. That thing that you know the Spirit has been speaking to you about. Perhaps the invitation is to pick up your Bible again because it's got a bit dusty. Perhaps the invitation is to prayer, to exercise your knees. Perhaps it's an invitation to journal and record what God is doing. How are these invitations playing out? What are your successes like, your failures, your progress in accepting these invitations? Perhaps it's an invitation to take on the challenges of your walk with God with joy and enthusiasm instead of labored obligation. Maybe it's evangelism. Inviting others to come and join us. Sharing the gospel. Taking a course at Bible college. But there's also another opportunity, and that is to invest in your kids, in your grandkids. We're looking for kids' church teachers next year. What better way to help them clock up their 10,000 hours than investing into their lives here on a Sunday morning? Teach your children and grandchildren the scriptures. Tell them stories. It doesn't have to be straight from the Bible. Tell them about the time Jesus did this or Moses did that. Tell them about the epic adventures that God's people have been on and the adventures that still lie ahead of us. Tell them about Jesus' way. Model for them and debrief with them about how to live out the kingdom here and now. Make it, make it exciting and practical. And be ready to answer some really tough and uncomfortable questions. Because those are the exciting ones. Those are the ones that our children want to know about. They're the ones that will help us exercise our faith with enthusiasm. They will model that we value our faith and the better life and future that Jesus is leading us into. So let's spur each other on to take more audacious and faithful risks for God. To be bold in accepting the opportunities and invitations that God offers to us. And to take a risk for Jesus. Or perhaps you're sitting here and you don't know God. Perhaps you're sitting here thinking, well, I haven't even put an hour towards my 10,000. I'm stuck. I'm in a dark place. And there's no way forward. And now I have to train in righteousness. I can barely manage a good or positive thought let alone a righteous life. The good news is that you don't have to do anything to get started. The good news is, and the ultimate invitation, is that Jesus has put in the hours for you. He has lived the perfect life on your behalf. He has followed God perfectly. He has loved perfectly. He has faced the darkness of this world and died the ultimate death so that you wouldn't have to. 
God's invitation is to trust Jesus, believe, have faith, and let God take and transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The invitation isn't to write God's law on the doorposts of your house, but on your heart. Through the power of the Spirit, as you invite Christ in, God's law is written on our hearts. As we read the Bible, it is illuminated by the Spirit and is embedded deeper into our souls so that in every moment of every day we can say yes to Jesus despite what is happening, despite what life brings our way, despite what kind of a year we've had. Will you say yes to Jesus? Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you as we're inspired by your story once again. We're inspired by the righteousness of your people, the commitment to your word, the commitment to your way, Lord Jesus. We're inspired by the yes of Joseph. So God, as we stand before you this morning, would you work in our hearts, writing your, writing your law, writing your word, speaking to us, encouraging us, illuminating our minds to see the opportunities and invitations you've got before us. But God, fill us with your spirit in such a way that we have boldness and courage to say yes in every situation. To say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I walk the way of Jesus. Lord, we're excited to see where that takes us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.